marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. my Wesley now. Your Wesley is dead. I killed him myself. Then why is there fear behind your eyes? Under you, Princess Barakwa. Man and wife, say man and wife. Man and wife. Escort the bride to the honeymoon suite. I'll be there shortly. I don't know if that's uh, reminiscent of your wedding at all and what your wedding looked like. Uh, hopefully not. Um, the kids will let them uh, head on to the, the children's church time. and They'll have a good time together while we kind of uh, break this down. And really, I think God's word, letting God's word kind of challenge us this morning. I remember uh, in, in 87, I first saw this movie uh, at a friend's house. And I remember just the first time going, oh, what? I don't get it. You know, what? Why do people like this? I just, I, it just, and then it's something grew on me, um, and uh, and now it's a, a family favorite. We watch it multiple times uh, throughout the year, and I like to think that when I think about my own marriage, that that's kind of how Shri eventually uh, fell for me. That I'm sure the first time we interacted and spent time, and she saw me, it was probably when I go, "Those, I don't get it," you know, I don't oh, really, <laughs> you know. But somehow, some way, I must have wore her down, and and of course, twenty four and a half years later, it's worked out uh, uh, pretty good. You know, I was thinking uh, this week about this that uh, I was because I, I get to look at all the signups that come through, and I was thinking about like like Jessica. I was thinking about you and Morgan. I was thinking about you and McKay, who is probably taller than me now, pretty close uh, to it. Like I was thinking about that. I'm coming up on like ten years here at the church. And that's long enough that some of you uh, youngins now um, uh, that are in your teens, you know, or mid-teens, I'm like, you were just way down there, kindergarten. And it's amazing that kids just keep growing, right? And then, of course, that flips to us as adults, right, and reminds us that we keep growing as well, you know, and we look at them and go, wow, it's amazing, you know, you're becoming a young man, a young woman, and we look at ourselves and go, man, I'm feeling like an old man or an old woman, you know, um, but here's a sad thing, even though age continues automatically like that, marriages, the growth and the depths of marriages do not automatically keep growing like that. Just because today you can say, hey, I've been married 10 years or 20 years, you haven't automatically grown in that relationship or grown in that depth of relationship. For many of you that have walked through the pain of a failed marriage, you could even speak from testimony to know that they don't automatically just grow and continue in love or depth or unity and sadly, uh, as you know, it's been said many times, the marriage rate comes around, right around 50%. It's a little under 50% in our nation across the board. 
In fact, the marriage rate since 2000 is down 6.8%, number of people that are getting married, 6.8%. But the divorce rate has stayed just the same since 2000. Less marriages, the same number of divorces. 41% of first marriages fail. 60% of second marriages fail. You know, a third time's a charm, right? 75, or excuse me, 73% of third marriages will fail. So may, maybe it's not the charm. I, I don't understand. USA has the sixth highest divorce rate uh, in the world. And among Christians, the divorce rate is 38%, right about 40% even among believers. Now, you might inside have gone, whew, good. I was really hoping the Christians weren't the same number uh, as our nation. But 40% even among believers so that means this morning, like when we talk about this concept of love and apply it to marriage, it, it has to mean something, right? So if we talk in this concept of love sustaining our marriage, hello, you know, or, or those times where we look at each other and go, man, that just that knucklehead, but boy, I just love him, you know, kind of type. What are we really meaning? What's really at play here when we talk about this. If you know this movie, you'll know really above all, love is the theme. Now, when I was a, a, a teenage boy, I was a middle schooler watching this, I could get into some of the action and some of the silly uh, sarcasm and stuff like that. But you would know above all, the theme is love. In fact, so much so that if you remember the great movie critics, Roger and e, or Ebert and Cisco and Ebert, um, I'm botching the names here. If you remember those, you know, uh, from the years past, um, they actually said this about the movie. Without the concept of love, the movie falls apart in the first five minutes. Now, like thinking, like I might be drawn to some other things, certainly when I was younger, but the concept of love is what holds the movie together and has become kind of one of those modern day classics. I think the same is true when we look at our marriage. There are so many things, there's so many components that marriage is about, but at its core, love is the sustaining thing. But what we really need to know, what we really have to have down is this, an understanding of what love means. Fortunately, God teaches us. He actually embeds this within us. Now, here's the problem in most marriages. Most issues in marriage come when my expectations have not been met. We center love around this word expectations. And so when I look at someone else and I'm going to fall in love with them, Mixed up or wrapped up in that is this concept of expectations. Now, really, expectations in and of themselves are not wrong. But we often get going to the point where we actually judge success in a relationship based on the expectations we had coming into that. Some of those expectations we shared, some of those expectations we just had, some of those expectations we, like, we, don't, we didn't even know to think of them. They just were somewhere embedded in. But when those type of expectations, they start to go awry or they're not met or not met in the way I would hope, we have struggles, struggles in our marriage. There are emotional struggles within our marriage. We, we say things like, I just I don't feel as close as I once did. There are physical expectations when they're not met that we just say, like, man, you know, he won't touch me or she won't touch me or those type of things. 
And you can actually apply this just across the board. Most issues in marriage come when my expectations haven't been met. In fact, James actually puts it a certain way when he writes uh, his small book in the Bible. We've actually walked through several verses in this book of James this year. He says it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? It's like there's something of a battle and desires or wants and expectations in our context today that we have that when they fight and they quarrel within us, they actually come out in real fights with other people. Now, James isn't specifically talking about marriage here. He's talking about relationships in general. We are applying it to this concept. So when expectations don't get met, when we have this type of of battle going on, uh, what do most people do? It creates actually this gap in our relationship. There's this gap or leap. For some of us, we just hope somehow this gap will be filled in, this I expect it didn't happen type of thing. But here's what most people do when there's this gap in expectations, and it leads to the numbers that we talked about at the beginning. One is that we just, we leave, right? We get up and we go. Have you ever been to something, like like you saw a little ad for it, like, I don't know, maybe something like a gym or a hobby, something like that, and you're like, I want to go check that out. Well, when you went to it, you may have said words like, I have no idea what to expect, You did. You had some form of expectations, right? You at very least had the expectation when you came in, somebody was going to talk to you, right? Somebody was going to say, hey, welcome, glad you're here, here's what we do, all right? You would have something. But let's say you walked into the door, you ever done this somewhere? And like right away you're like, "Uh uh-uh, no, this ain't going to work for me. And you knew what you're really saying is that it didn't hit whatever small expectations I might have. Or I'm like, this is not a right fit. Well, what did you probably do? You left. You didn't come back the next time. This actually happens in our relationships as well. When expectations start to build up and they're not met, we leave. We just say things like, well, this isn't what I signed up for, right? And we move on. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the concept of not cheating the family, that a family will stick with you because they love you a long, long time, but at some point if the family's like, listen, our needs, our expectations are not being met, this is not working for us any longer. Second thing we do is give up. And the reason give up is different than leave is leave is like I get out of the picture, or I take off. Give up is you could stay right where you're at in the same role as husband, wife, mother, father, and you've given up. I'm not working on this anymore. You know, we'll, we'll live in the same house, but we're not really building this relationship. Tried that. It didn't really work. You know, I want to work on it. They don't want to work on it. They might say the exact opposite type of thing. But you just kind of give up, and you just kind of resign the fact that this is what it is, and we'll just kind of move forward. Then there's like a compromise. And you might say, well, the compromise, that's good, right? Like you're supposed to have that in marriage. I remember in marriage counseling, right, your counselor said there's probably some compromise you need to make. But this is when there's a compromise where you just decide, I'm just going to give in because I just want peace. I just want peace at every turn, and you just give in. You abandon a lot of yourself, maybe even some of your dreams or your directions. You just give all that in abandonment. Compromise like this is always a one-way thing. Somebody's compromising, and somebody's taking the whole time. 
And then there's this concept of control. Maybe you're one that's like, listen, I'm going to win this. And you just hunker down and you say, I, I will work really hard, loud, and strong because I'm going to win these battles. I'm tired of feeling like I'm walked on, so I'm going to win everything from now on. And so you go in like this strong control or fighting. Maybe it's more subtle. Maybe it's passive aggressive, but there's this subtle manipulative how you say what you say to try to elicit a response from your spouse. All of these things come when expectations are not met, when we have these expectations and it's not happening. God offers us an answer. I want, if you have your Bible here, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to take a, a look at a couple passages that if you remember and like you mark these things down in your head and in your calendar in your head, you'll remember like this is the third message on directly on marriage that we've talked about in this calendar year. And each time we have made sure this verse is a prominent verse that we have talked about in all three of these messages. Why? Because I believe this is the most important verse for your marriage that we find in the Bible. And I know it wasn't read at your wedding, right? When you went to your wedding, you, you, you went into 1 Corinthians and you're just like, I love is patient and kind and I love all these things. You went back into Psalms and you found some very poetic things that the book of Psalms said about love. And you're like, oh, it's so beautiful. I'll have that read. We'll have it posted up, all that kind of stuff. You didn't read something like this. But this is the most significant verse in the Bible about your marriage. It says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Like in your marriage, because that's actually what he's talking about here. He's opening up a, a chapter about relationships. This is the first verse he says about relationships. Then the first relationship that Paul highlights in this chapter is marriage, husband and wife, so that you have no mistake what he's talking about here. He starts first with husbands and wife. He goes on to talk about kids and families and parents and those things as well. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like if you had that marked as your number one rule in your house for husband and wife to tell each other, listen, the number one thing I have to offer you as your husband or as your wife is that I we will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That would revolutionize your marriage. Submit, what's that really talking about? It's actually a military term uh, in the Bible. It means this, to put one's rank under another. When you put your rank under someone else, you are submitting to them. We think about it in other terms. We think about something like, you know, keep your mouth shut. Get over there in the corner. I don't want to hear from you. Submit. But we're talking here about I just put my rank under your rank. It doesn't mean I'm nothing. It's just for this instant, for this, uh, this time, or for whatever's going on, um, that I'm, I'm okay with putting myself, my rank, under your rank. That is the submission we find in the Bible. It says out of reverence. Now, this is one of those times where I'm not sure the Bible word, even though it's translating direct from the Greek, out of reverence, I'm not sure that word really captures what reverence means. You know, when we think of reverence, what do we think of? We think of this. You're just sitting quietly, just a little smile on your face to show you're pleasant, you're fine, you know, everything's good. You're very reverent, you know. When your kids were young, could you just sit there and be quiet? 
know, that was our way of saying, could you be reverent? You know, just sit there. But what the Bible is really getting at is out of your awe of Christ. Like, you think of your awe, and you're just like, ah, you know? I mean, think of the, what that is for you that would elicit that type of response that just captivates you with awe. That is what the word reverence really means. You submit to one another out of this awe, this wonder, this, this amazement. You submit to one another. But guess what? Here's the, the tricky part at the end. Not because of love. Not because of one another, not because, you know, man, this person's awesome. That's why I do this. No, for Christ. Christ. Like, he's actually saying, look, you submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. Because you have chose to be a follower of Christ, you would submit to one another. Paul's actually saying, like, for me, it makes perfectly good sense that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you're going to submit to one another. This is like what Christ teaches. This is... This is like who he was, case in point, on how he lived things out. And so if you're going to be a follower of Christ, and you're going to choose to take that into your marriage relationship, then guess what? Well, you're going to submit to one another, because that's who Christ is. And you love Christ, and you're a follower of Christ. So it would make sense that you're now going to take that right into your relationship that you would put yourself under, and that you would have this awe and wonder because of Christ. Now, some of you would say, this, you know, you could look at this and say, oh, I, you know, I don't, I don't love them, and I don't, I don't submit to them because of who they are and even who God has created them to be. Well, no, but it doesn't mean you don't love them. In fact, this actually heightens your love for them because we actually believe that God's word is teaching us how to love in a way that in just merely human hands or human thinking, we couldn't quite get to. Do you know how I know that? Do you remember the stats I read to you earlier today? That's how we compute by human standards. It lasts for a little while, and it's going great. It's wonderful. And then, man, we hit something, or we had something all along that we were denying, and we do one of these things. We leave, we give up, we walk through things like that. But God actually is teaching us a deeper, a more powerful form of love that's found in this submitting. Submit is this, I'll put my spouse's wants, needs, expectations above my own. Above my own. Now, there's some wisdom in this here, right? Your spouse has some uh, addiction, you know, something going on, something bad like that. You know, you're not putting their want for that addiction ahead of the family. So put this within context. But if you stay with Paul in, the, in this chapter, Paul is just saying this. I want to tell you how to have amazing relationship. It starts with this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Start with your relationship for Christ and what Christ did for you. You build that into your relationship for one another. That is what submission looks like. So the most powerful principle in any great marriage is this, mutual submission. Mutual submission. Because if you take this principle and you say, I'm going to put this principle into practice, and it's one person doing it, and the other person's like, this is awesome. I get everything. They submit to me. You know, it's not going to work. It may feel like, hey, this is working for a little bit here, but it's not going to work. Mutual submission 
is what Paul is teaching here within a great marriage. Listen, this doesn't mean that there isn't leadership within the marriage. This doesn't mean that somebody is the doormat for someone else. That wouldn't be this mutual submission here. But it means that we are looking to each other and we're willing, as God leads, to submit before as the need arises. Here's how it's actually worded in Paul's. And now that you have this understanding, this this baseline of what he's talking about, listen to what he says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, a lot of people, that's where they like to start. They like to say, look, the man's the head of the house. Let me show you this verse. And they jump right into this verse and say, see what it says here? And that's that's when we talk about manipulating Scripture, taking Scripture out of context, or it's actually, in, in academic terms, this is what we call eisegetical. It's when we start with our own preconceived idea, and then we attach a verse to try to support our idea. Whereas on the opposite extreme, opposite side, is a thing called exegetical Bible study. We actually start with the passage, and we let the passage tell us what the Word of God is trying to teach us. And so since we just talked about the context of Paul getting into it, mutually submitting, now we look at a passage like this, and he starts, and he says, hey, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. No problem, right? Because Paul just said we're going to mutually submit to one another. I'll talk, I'll, I'll talk to you wives first. Hey, wives, as you would submit to the Lord, submit to your husband as well. Listen, men, you don't ever need to use this passage, Right? Paul's not even talking to you. You don't need to use it. You know, if you do, I would love for you to record how it goes too because every once in a while, I, just, I would love to sit back and just giggle. So if you would, do that. But you don't even need to use this. Paul is saying, look, mutually submit to one another. That's where you find this deep, lasting love in marriage. And then he says, wives, hey, let me talk to you first. Submit to your husbands just like you would do the Lord. Ties it in exactly with your relationship with the Lord. And then he turns to husbands. He says, husbands, let me, I got something for you. You love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when we talk about submit, putting your rank underneath, he's saying, look, here's what you're going to do, men. You're going to surrender your entire life for your wife. You're going to do that out of love. If it helps you men to really understand what Paul's saying Substitute that word submit in there. Husbands, submit to your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. If, if you need a picture to understand. But whether Paul's using the word love or submit here, it doesn't matter. He's saying you submit to one another. Wives, here's your part. Men, here's your part. Listen, men, your part's hard. You got to do it. You don't walk around saying I'm, I'm the head of this house. What I say goes. We're having Mexican food tonight. Everybody get in the car. No, it doesn't work that way. In fact, that's one of those times when you talk about submission where it's better just to say, "Hun, what would you like to eat tonight? That's exactly what I was thinking. Let's go. Everyone in the car. Paul has something for both of us here, and it's really equal, these equal statements. And he's saying, men, look, you're going to sacrifice all of yourself right here. That's exactly what Christ did. Why would I use the example Paul said of Christ dying for the church if I didn't want you to do the same thing? Those powerful words that he gets at here. This submission is 
developing and adapting a servant lifestyle and attitude. Servant lifestyle, servant attitude. Do you remember what we talked about, bond servant, how it's different? That in the book of Jude, that the bond servant didn't mean this, this slave form. This bond servant is actually, I put myself in a position of servitude to you. That is what we're doing in this mutual submission in marriage. Above all, love. And this is how Paul is actually defining this cornerstone and basis for love will grow and build your marriage. Does it mean you're going to walk through your marriage and you're never going to run into anything that's a hardship? Uh, No, no. I mean, we're 24 and a half years, and I I look, and and I would say, I I think it's a great marriage. I love our marriage. I've loved the 24 years. And yet we could point out these times here or there, as you could, where we ran up against this, we hit this, you know? Um, But this cornerstone and basis of understanding love this way builds and grows the marriage. But it's got to work for both of you. So if you're sitting here this morning and, and you're married or, you know, or you're like, hey, we're on the track to get married down the road, this is what you've got to build into. And it's got to work from both of you for this to really happen. If you're a teenager, right, and you're like, oh, they're talking about marriage again, you know, all this kind of stuff. Just please don't talk about anything about kissing and my parents and stuff because that's, that's gross. But teens, this is the time to think about this. Like, this is the time to solidify this. If you're looking right now for your future husband, your future, your wife, this is the time to lock this in to say, this is what I want in my marriage. I want to start talking about this from the get-go, right? I mean, I don't know if you go out to Dairy Queen the first time and you say, hey, what's your, con- what's your thought on mutual submission? You know, if you, I don't know if you jump into it at the first ice cream, but early on, before those relationships get significant, you want to know, is this biblically working in my relationship. Here's some takeaways. I want to just ask a couple questions. Or, or one's a question, one's a statement. Here's a question. What is one thing I can do to serve you more? Have you thought about that? Now, who's asking that question? It's not me to you, right? It's you to your spouse. What's one thing I can do to serve you more? This opens up this understanding. If you've never asked this question about each, or to each other, this actually opens up the door. Now, somebody just heard that, whether in here or online, just heard that and go, like, I don't do enough? You know, I got to do something else? That's really not what we're talking about, the list. Because in every relationship, if you start working the list, it will never be equal. You'll never be like, hey, we each did 16 things today. You know, it'll always be off. But in mutual submission, that's really not the issue. Because sometimes it's off in the, you know, quote-unquote favor one day and not the other day. It's the heart and the attitude. What's one thing I can do to serve you more? What can I do to serve you? And then uh, the second one, more of a statement, stop talking and start listening. 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 You know, I heard it, uh, the verse used, be still and know that I'm God. Do you remember that passage that shows up uh, in God's word? And, and so I just did a little bit of word looking. It just intrigued me at the moment. And I've heard that many times. I've always just said, hey, good verse and moved on. But the word actually be, be still. It actually means be quiet. Quit talking. 
be quiet. Because I put it in my context. Oh, be still. I need to put away my phone. I need to turn off the TV. I need to. Those things didn't exist when it was just be still. Just quiet your voice and just listen and hear the voice of God instead. Sometimes in our marriage, we just have to stop talking and we need to start listening. Hear more. Sometimes that's actually listening. Like they talk and I hear. Sometimes it's opening our eyes and being observant. How's my spouse, what are they dealing with today? How are they taking this? And then tying in, how can I then come along and serve and bless them? This is the cornerstone. This is really that foundational rock that Christ wants to build your marriage on. Above all, love. The movie, The Princess Bride, it just doesn't work without the story of love. As the critics said, it falls apart in the first five minutes. Your marriage will crumble at some point, whether it ends in divorce or it ends in you kind of just, you know, you, you, you still live together and, and you maintain schedules and cycles and all that kind of stuff. But love being the cornerstone turns something into a modern-day classic. And that's what God wants in your marriage. That's what he wants to create. So let me pray for you uh, this morning. Would you bow with me? Father, Lord, I know that uh, the church, our church, is not immune to marriage difficulties. Lord, I have both the blessing and the heartache at times to sit with couples, even among our church who, who are struggling in marriage. It's hard. Some of them are even at a crossroads right now where they're contemplating uh, ending this marriage. Father, for some, they've never even thought about this concept of mutual submission. Or if they have, they've looked at it from such kind of a selfish viewpoint that they can't quite see it, how you line it out in your word. Father, this morning, I pray that this message would just be an open door to our hearts, maybe an eye-opener in our lives, that you have something more, deeper, greater that you want to accomplish in our marriages. In fact, so much more that you believed in it so strong that there is nothing in your word that's used more as an analogy than the concept of marriage all throughout your word. So, Father, it starts with this. If somebody, and it's, if it's you, like you're on the ropes in the marriage, you're at a point, you first, first just stop where you're at and believe that there is hope. Believe that there is somewhere to go now. And there's somewhere God wants to take, take you into restoration. Maybe you've been married a while and you just to say, hey, nothing's wrong, but like nothing's great. And you want to revisit this morning, this concept. You might be here without your spouse this morning and you need to go home and say, hey, dear, let's, let's watch this again to, together later. And then I just want to talk about this and ask, how do we put this into our marriage? Maybe for you this morning, you're like, that is what we've been doing for years. That's why. I didn't even understand why God had blessed us with such strong marriage. But that's it. That's been the core. We put that into practice. Would you now be looking and praying on who you can build into? What other relationships, what young marriages could you talk to and help along? There's something for all of us. So, Father, would you use this to springboard us into action? I pray it in your son's name.